How do you work out what's good value and what's not, especially when it's supposed to be a bonus market? Shouldn't everything be a bargain, Veronica? Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about how to find value, how to work out value, and make sure you buy value. But before we get into that, there is a very strange house behind <laughs> Megan in the video this week. What that? I mean, I can guess what it is, but it's, it's just... what it is, right? It's a watermelon house. Why? <laughs> I, I mean, I could that... find a lot of information about this one. It's in Portugal, and I think it might be part of a service station or a shop or something like that. There really wasn't a lot, but um, there you go. Big chunk taken out of the top. One of my children's favorite things to eat. Yes, great summer fruit, um, but it's got a bite in the middle of it. For anyone who's not watching the video, bite in the middle of it, as in in the roof. The middle of the roof, a giant bite has been taken out. What do they waterproof that? Yeah, I don't know. We had a deluge in Sydney last night, and I all I can think of is Very. weak spot, weak spot, weak spot yeah. when I see roofs like that. <laughs> God, it's strange weather, isn't it? Anyway, on to today's topic. And mm. we were inspired by a question by Mitch. I'm going to start off reading a little bit, Veronica. Finding value. When you look at the land to asset ratio for majority of properties in our price range, and that's up to 1.5 million, Mitch says land values are around 500,000 and the sale price is around 1.45 million. So around 34% on his reckoning. These are not big places where the improvements on the land are, you know, unbelievable in his words. They're standard houses, townhouses, small to no yards, sometimes with a, you know, a nice small pool, but majority will need some work to bring to standard. Now, he's looking down in New South Wales. Um, he did a free online course on valuing a property. Well, of course, it's not valuing a property. It's how to price a property because we're not registered valuers. Um, and good on you for doing the course, Mitch. He took away a few good things to assess, thank you, that I hadn't considered. Oh, so thank you, he says. Any <laughs> insights or thoughts on significance of the land to asset ratio would be helpful. find it interesting that the New South Wales value of general land prices are so low. 
to actually buy a small block of land on its own in this area is much more expensive. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? And the reason we're doing an entire episode on this topic is because this question basically reveals a whole bunch of really tricky things about pricing property, but also a whole bunch of misconceptions around land value. Yes. And and what, like, you know, if you are going to have, look at the value of general's land value rate, right? Every single block of land in this country yes. has a value of general's value in whatever state or territory you're in, right? Um, and then you go, oh, right, well, it's that plus the cost of putting a building on it must equal the sale price or the value <laughs> of the property. But it actually doesn't work that way. And so we just thought we should pull this apart for you and explain. I love it. It's such a good question because he's it's a thought quite methodically about it, uh, just using the wrong method. Yes. <laughs> so so let's work through. And so then we will get to the point of how do you find value? How do you work out what value is? And so the word value gets used in so many different um, contexts and it means different things in different contexts. Yeah. So let's start with what land value means. Yeah, so land value is where the value of general's department in each state, and they have different names, um, but they're the guys that look at or what, girls and or generally girls, guys, guys, I guess. Just, but yeah, well, I see. I use guys as an inclusive term, not exclusive. They're the, they're the peeps. The peeps. They're the peeps that look at um, what things are worth if there wasn't an improvement. It's really just a rateable value. Um, how councils determine their rates on your property is based on the land value. It's not the market value. So they will look at things around the property, but they're not looking at things that are on the property, if that makes sense. So what it's zoned as um, will come into play, what its highest best use is according to its zoning, um, what it, any limitations on, on the property, just the land, not the house. These sorts of things are what they look at to determine what they believe is the rateable value or or the base value of the land. Now that piece of land could sell for as much as thirty or forty percent more than that rateable value. And we certainly see that, Veronica, where you've got a piece of land where a house has been knocked down, it doesn't sell anywhere near the price or the the value that the value of generals has put on it because it's not the market value. It's not what people think it's worth in the market. Now really interesting little off topic in New Zealand that price is generally the same as the valuation. So when a property sells, they actually talk about it being very close to the valuation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very spooky. So with a land value, so the you know, according to the value of general here, we're talking about land value. So it's going to be different if you're talking about like a new subdivision, right? Where there's lots of blocks and there's they're all a similar size and, you know, maybe they might have different parts of the subdivision where maybe there's some with bigger ones going to be worth more, obviously, than the smaller ones. But, you know, there's sort of a uniformity to the value, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're looking at what's called an infill site, so say you're looking at an established suburb where there's a block of land that it's either been created because it's a rezone industrial um, area that's been turned to residential, or maybe it's a house has been knocked down. Perhaps the block of land's been sold on its own with you know, with nothing on it, yeah. or perhaps it's the ability to it's been rezoned. You could ability to buy, you know, to put maybe two or three dwellings on that property. So they those blocks of land are going to have a different value than say the block of land out there in subdivision land. 
And so out there in subdivision land, you've got no scarcity. And so why would anybody compete for this block when you could buy 10 over there, mm. right? Whereas in an infill area, in an area, an established area where actual vacant land doesn't come up very often, you will have market forces come in and compete for that property depending on how popular that suburb is. And so that's where you get that difference between what the value of general might determine the land is worth and what the market itself might determine the land is worth because they see value in the scarcity of it, the proximity to amenity, whatever it is it's, it, that's important and to buyers in that area, those things will come into play. Whereas the value of general isn't necessarily thinking, factoring those things um, when they come up with their land value for rateable purposes. So therefore that as I mentioned earlier, trying to work out this equation, the land value plus improvements equals market value will not really help you work out what to pay or give you confidence of value. Yeah, yeah. It is it is an interesting way of doing things and sometimes commercial properties, one of the valuation techniques might involve that. Uh, and when a valuer, as opposed to a real estate agent or a buyer, when a valuer does a check on a market appraisals, comparative market analysis, using comparable sales as their valuation technique, they might do a check, um, particularly if it's a newer build. So they might actually look at, well, what is the market value of this land? Not the rateable value, but the market value of this land. What would it cost to reproduce the building that's that's just been finished on this piece of land and put those numbers together as a check measure against comparable sales? Um, but you'll very, very, very rarely see a property valued at a land plus improvements method using a land plus improvements methodology in residential, as you said. Yeah, as re in resi. Yeah. yeah. And so, what is important there too is that um, buildings depreciate while land appreciates. Right. So that's a general concept, and that's why an investor can can negatively gear, you know, um, against depreciation on a building when they buy a property. Right. Um, because that's in, in theoretical terms, meant to go down in value while the land goes up in value. The thing is that in older areas where properties might have some sort of sort of heritage value, mm. where buyers, areas. Yeah, yeah, where buyers actually value, like you know, in Brisbane, the Queenslander, the it's, timber and tin Queenslanders that the, the southerners just can't wrap their heads around. <laughs> They're highly <laughs> sought after in an area where I live. They're hundred you know, years old. Well, that's, you know, and you can't replace that. And, yeah. and and new builds that pretend to be like old builds, they've always something a bit wrong about them, you yeah. know. So uh, in, in Sydney, you might have Federation ha homes, for for example. There's lots of other examples. In Melbourne, you also have Federation homes. I think they call them Edwardian homes down there. Um, in in Adelaide, you've got, you know, your beautiful um, heritage stone. Mm. Or the, is it sandstone or bluestone down there? But well, you've got this beautiful stone buildings, inner urban areas, those more established areas. So you've got these these sorts of properties can't be replaced. So the building element of those, I would argue, doesn't depreciate in the same way. Mm -hmm. An internal renovation might, you know, depreciate. Yeah, but the actual, age. the character of those buildings appreciates over time because as more and more new buildings get built, they become scarcer and scarcer. So this is where this idea of, you know, like I said before, buildings depreciate, land appreciates and trying to find value, it gets complicated because it it's does. not always the case. Yeah. And it's very hard for anybody to determine what the value of an old building actually is. 
Mm. Because you can't really, you know, even a quantity surveyor might look at that and say, all right, well, gee, wow, you know, we haven't used that technique of, of building for a very long time. We would have to use this technique. And those materials just simply aren't available anymore. We'd have to use these types of materials. And that kind of method of, of or placement of things actually doesn't meet current building code. So we would have to build it in a different way to meet current building code. So there isn't actually really a way to value an older you know, character style house in terms of rebuild. So just to look at a piece of land and how much would it cost to rebuild that property they're almost unable to be priced in that in that way. Um, so as a technique of working out what should I pay for this property, we would probably put that in the bag of mm, not helpful. No. Not going to get you help. You, throw a dart might help you a little bit more. And, of course, we don't want you to throw a dart at a dartboard we to work out what to pay. Do not. And the great <laughs> thing is Mitch has started off, off his journey with us anyway in, in using the free course and so the free mini course which teaches you this process of working through how to price a property and he's a little bit I guess he's obviously an analytical person right. so he's gone to, gone to think about these other areas that you should be analyzing perhaps you know, in his mind anyway but the reality is the process we teach you in the free course is actually the process you need to follow and yep. you don't need to deviate from that because we've taught you the process that we use in our businesses we will add something at the end of this where we talk about indexation because that's not yeah. actually included in that course. Um, but it is but part of the your first time process. process. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Certainly. Free, free course. Look, there's a lot to unpack in a property, a mm. comprehensive evaluation and due diligence. And this is module seven in our 10-step process. Um, this can help you work out which properties are worth even spending time evaluating for pricing because you don't want to be you don't it, there's no use working out what a property's going to sell for if you're not interested in it because it should be a comprehensive <laughs> process it takes time <laughs> it takes a lot of time now again you mentioned indexation earlier we are going to talk about indexation next week and you do need to do a little bit of work around properties that you're not going to buy when a market is rapidly changing because you need to work out how much to add or subtract yeah but that's for next week so, yeah. so, but also in the due diligence, due diligence process, you're working out which properties are worth pushing yourself for and which ones you should just walk away from. Just leave them mm. alone. Not even worth it. Um, trying to find a value can be a bit of a trap as it leads people to buy, you know, B or C grade properties when really what they should be focusing on is what is a good quality property that's going to perform for you over the long term. Now, you've probably heard us say this before and that a buyer's market you know, as a buyer, you think, well, it should be easy now. Perfect. Like, you know, a buyer's market means Everything it's, should be it's a my turn, right? <laughs> it's on a seller's market. Unfortunately, the, one of the problems with a buyer's market is that the amount of really good quality property diminishes. It is stock levels across the country are uh, sort of 20, 25% down on normal on five-year averages. Oh, Veronica, really interesting. So recently I saw a post that talked about supply and let's have a look at what that was. This is supply in Brisbane. Um, in January 2018, there was just under 29,000 houses available. In January 2023, just over 18,000 houses. Ooh, That's down 37%. Yeah. But the other thing, and you know, this is a home buying podcast, but this is actually relevant, is rentals were down by 75%. Oh, my God. Wow. Right. So, so stock levels. And this is what is perceived to be, by the media, a buyer's market. 
Yeah. So your so, point's really relevant. There isn't as it, much to choose from and often the quality's not there. And so this is why a lot of buyers scratch their heads. They're like, well, hang on a minute. Why is it still so difficult? Um, and also you have this idea because of the media that it's a buyer's market, so therefore I should be getting a bargain. <laughs> but the problem is when you've got that much less stock around, and so that's Brisbane, and the story is similar yep. across the country, right? So when you've got that much less stock available and the people who typically have A-grade properties, they are more likely to hold on to their property yeah. than anyone who's got something that's a little bit substandard, right? So those we do find that the proportion of A-grade property that's available in a buyer's market is less than it is in a seller's market. And I know it's counterintuitive, but we just find this on the ground yeah. all the time. So the problem is we're trying to find value in a buyer's market is that this the good stuff still is competitive. Yeah. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not going to compete in a in a buyer's market, I shouldn't have to compete. The, tra the, the trap is there that you end up buying stuff that you are not competing for, which is the lesser quality property. Mm. Uh, that, sure, you might be able to get it at a lot less than you would have been able to pay for that property in a booming market. But I would argue that, you know, you still don't want to buy B and C grade property if you can avoid it. Yeah, and and in a buyer's market, so we're talking about where um, there's less buyers competing for properties than there are properties available, um, people start to differentiate a lot more than they did in a seller's market. Yes. So in a seller's market, if you remember, people were not differentiating, at, you know, putting a different, assigning a different value to properties that had issues. So yeah. main roads or flood affected or clunky layouts or disproportionate room sizes, these sorts of things that can't be fixed, they weren't differentiating on price. They are simply saying, well, if that four-bedroom sold for that over there, I'm going to have to pay this to even just buy here. When, when that market shifts and there is less fear of missing out and, and less speed to make quick, quick decisions, people go back to differentiating. And therefore, the price difference between an A grade, a B grade, and a C grade property starts to reveal itself again. So the risk can be if you're not switched on to that and you're not picking it up, you might still be paying premium prices for lower grade properties or feeling like you need to move really quickly. But the, I, I think one of the, the problems that is really difficult to overcome is how much media is out there because we're on these 24-hour news cycles. There's so much. Everyone's an expert. There's all sorts of blogs available. There is, you're just getting hit time after time after time. And whatever narrative is coming to you, it's really hard to step back and say, hang on, I need to look at what's actually happening on the ground here, not what someone is interpreting or trying to get me, you're presenting a side of a story because it's either really good reading or clickbait or they're trying to sell me something. So stepping back and actually going, hang on, I'm going to go to some open houses on Saturdays. I'm going to talk to some agents. I'm going to get a feel for how many people are you getting through your open homes? How does that compare to last year? You know, how many offers are you getting? How many people have asked for contracts at auctions? How many people actually registered and how many, you know, watch how many people actually bid? If you can get a bit more of a feel for, for that sort of thing on different kinds of properties, you'll have a better understanding about what the market is doing than, than reading anything that you can find online. You know, we, we're in Brisbane right now. We've had, we've had a changing market. 
I know that there's a, a particular group of um, in Brisbane that there's a hundred agents in their agencies, and at the peak of the market, they are getting about a thousand people through their open houses on a Saturday. That dropped down to about five hundred over the November December period, which would indicate a decrease in in buyers around. Those numbers are back up to about eight or nine hundred a week at the moment, but they're not making offers. Yeah. So if you got if you're looking at the wrong indicator of which direction the market was going and trying to apply some sort of indexation to what was happening in the market based on just numbers of people at open houses, yep, you're not kind of collecting the other information that you need to be able to make a good decision about what to pay um, for a property. And yeah, that's really what that's the part of the value that we're talking about at the moment. What should I pay? What's it worth? Um, and, and the market is not, but there are still premium prices being achieved for really good quality, well-located um, homes that haven't got overriding negatives. So you, you've got to really understand the differences between those so that you don't assign the wrong value and either pay too much or end up missing out completely because you, you're just not, you're so off the market. Well, that's the thing. People dig their heels in and they go, I'm and not paying that. It's yeah. a buyer's market. I should be able to do it. And it's like what well, other people are prepared to pay because it's a bloody good property. Yeah. And, or and they so paid X for that last year and I'm going to pay X minus yeah. 10% this year. Yeah, good luck. If it's a good property, good luck. Because yeah. I see some properties rise in value, increase mm -hmm. in value in a slowing market whilst other properties are losing value. And so the reason that that happens is because some properties are better than others. And those better properties are more attractive to more buyers. And that's that's fun. It's actually not rocket science. This And, you know, all these people are trying to come out with all the clever data, all the clever numbers, all the clever theories, all the rest of it. At the end of the day, it's really simple. It's if a property has more things that appeal to more buyers, it's going to be more popular and people are going to fight over it and the price will rise. Yeah. Yeah. If a popular, if a property is compromised in significant ways, that mean that, like when uh, Megan was saying there, that buyers become more picky in a buyer's market. If their buyers are being picky about that property, then that property's going to get less buyers on it, less competition, and the price is likely to fall. And that's fundamentally it. So we always say, focus on the asset. You know, don't focus on the being tossed around with the waves of the market. Yeah. It's a bit like if you think it, if you got a boat in the bay, right? A storm comes and the and the the water gets choppy and all the rest of it. And as the boat's sitting out there in the middle of the bay and it is not anchored to anything, it's not moored or it doesn't have its anchor in in the bottom of the bay, then it's going to get tossed around and could probably get washed ashore, right? But if you're out there and you're anchored in some fact, you're anchored in, you know what? I know what I need. I know what is important to me. I know what is a good property in this area because it's got these characteristics. What the rest of the market ha does, you know, the, if, the wind can blow all it likes. You know, the surf can come up all it likes. Your boat's going to stay anchored, right? So it's about getting the right information rather than get tossed around all the, all the other stuff. You know, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on this podcast, but I've certainly mentioned it in a couple of my rant videos and whatever, but... I was sitting having breakfast in my favour and subscribe to Veronica's TikTok <laughs> and, <laughs> and Facebook. It's inst my Instagram is actually. It's my oh, Instagram. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, my I was having breakfast with my daughter one day over the Christmas holidays and, and we looked outside, it was raining outside and she's sitting looking at her phone and she's like, oh, it can't be raining outside because my weather app says it's not. <laughs> and She's got a good sense of humor, my daughter. And and I just thought that is the perfect analogy for looking to 
the headlines and the and saying I need to find value because the market's falling, uh, uh. as opposed to truly understanding what's going on in the area in which you want to buy and being able to identify value for that particular property. Because sometimes you're going to have to compete for stuff even in a buyer's market, and it's good value to do that because that's a great asset. So that's that's sort of turning this idea about getting a bargain and that being value on its head. I love it. Next week, we're going to be delving into how to adjust pricing in a changing market. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.